Hi and welcome to uh, Dynamics Update. Uh, this time it's not really a standard uh, episode. We thought we would produce a sort of an extra episode and we, we have an ambition that we would try to do that going forward. We had one with regarding ISVs. Uh, today we will be talking about uh, environment architecture for a new setup of a project. And we also have a thought that we might end up doing interviews with interesting people going forward. But um, by my side, as usual, I have Gustav. Hi, Gustav. Hello, everyone. We, we felt that this topic has popped up so many times in, in recent discussions, both with uh, customers and partners and and I mean, um, colleagues as well, that it seems to be a little bit unclear in some areas. So, I mean, this is an attempt from us to kind of um, not to clarify everything, uh, but kind of go through what we know and our experience. And, and um, I hope it will clarify at least something uh, on this topic. So, Johan, uh, I think you start, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so as, as Gustav said, this is a subset of, of a couple of the more important questions that you get asked in every single project. This is something you have to take into account. You have to decide on how to solve this. And the reason why we are bringing this up is because, at least from our perspective, in a very large percentage of the cases, the answer is really, really obvious. And and not maybe for the reasons that you're thinking, but for other reasons. And we are going to go through the questions. We are also going to go through the 90% the answer and the reasons why the 90% answer is probably the right one for you. That's such a consultant term, 90% answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but I mean, that that's the problem because when you talk to the customers, they see it as a 50-50 choice. Yeah, exactly. And You're from right. my perspective, it's absolutely not a 50-50 choice. I would even say that it's a 95-5 choice or something like that, at least some of the questions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In some of the questions, that, that that is the case. And this will it might sound like we're encouraging, I mean, forcing you in one direction. And it's always, it's hard to give a clear answer because it's always context sensitive. It depends on where you are, what kind of... Um, or situation or the, the well architecture a lot of different variables that you have to to be aware about so um the, the disclaimer here is basically that um take what we say and then uh, apply it to your own situation exactly miles may vary but but uh, <laughs> yes, uh, with with that said we will try to explain as much as possible the reasoning behind our obvious answer so to yeah, speak exactly okay so uh, the first question that we often end up discussing, especially with customers who have coming who are coming from AX two thousand and nine or AX twenty twelve, is should we run on premise? And in Microsoft's world, on premise is called local business data, and the reason there is that that we have the data locally on our in our data center. So. Uh, then the obvious choice from an AX2012 perspective would be, we don't really trust the cloud yet, so let's do on-premise. And so the pros for, for doing local business data is <clears throat> that you have at least a, a, an illusion of control. You are driving the servers. You have the option to add more resources, more um, 
machines, more CPUs, more memory. The, the obvious way that we have solved many of the, especially uh, performance issues in, the, in, in, in previous days. The second pro is uh, if you have uh, uh, rules and regulations that you need to attend to, like you don't, you can't keep your data outside of Swedish borders or whatever <laughs> country you're in. That is also a very important part. Uh, this, the third one that I have before uh, Gustav can <laughs> intervene is latency. So we are we we have we have an infrastructure. We know how our infrastructure works. We know that it performs the way we want it today. That's why we would like to have it in-house so we don't have to deal with latency to an Azure data center. Yeah, and exactly. And uh, if I'm going to play like the devil's advocate here, and I know I, I don't, to be honest, I, I have not worked in any on-premise instance of uh, Dynamics uh, 365 yet. Uh, I've been in many, many discussions with clients and partners and, and, and colleagues, as I said, um, because this was always like a, the transitioning from AX2012 to Dynamics that was a bit hard because um, um, the, argument, the argument was, okay, if you have invested in a data center recently um, and you want to make the transition to the next version, we understand, that's what Microsoft said, as <laughs> um, like a financial liability. So you, we, you're able then to install on premise, that was one of the arguments, at, at least, and not discussing the like legality here and then the inside the borders thing. Um, so I, I kind of buy that, of course. But what you need to understand is, if you decide to go with local business data, you're basically spinning up a little Azure of your own in your own data center, which is cool, of course, but it's also very costly. Uh, you need to maintain certificates. You need to maintain the the, the old all the traditional roles like DBA, all of those roles that you kind of might want to move away from uh, when going cloud, uh, you you stick with. Well, like not getting all the benefits of the cloud solution. That's one thing. And the other thing, I mean, the mitigation of all the, these local regu regulations, like in Germany, there is uh, Microsoft spinning up a cloud with a local supplier. China, they have their own sovereign cloud. Um, so a lot of these legal regulations are already covered um, without having to resort to local business data. So um, I don't want to sound like I'm just, I, I realize there are of course a lot of scenarios, especially production where you need to maintain control. Um, so of course there are lots of scenarios but where on-prem is actually applicable and valid. Uh, but what what I think you, you want mean and what I mean as well is that it has to be a discussion on the right level. It, it cannot be simply like we don't trust Microsoft or we don't trust um, having our data somewhere else. I, I actually had a, a real conversation, I'm not going to say with, with who, where, um, uh, well, not me, but we, we had a conversation with a customer way back when, where basically they were saying we don't trust the cloud. And we said, well, but you use Office 365. Yes. So? <laughs> Okay, but <laughs> that's the same thing. So I, I think a lot of thing, a lot of the stuff here and the discussions here are about awareness, really. What is it about? So you get a long way by just explaining, okay, this is it. This is what you get when you do, when you go cloud and you go, these are the tenants. This is um, Office 365, this is Azure. So explaining what it's about, I think, at least I hope, takes away kind of the pressure of that decision because I think, um, I hope now we're so mature that this is, going away and not being a real issue. Um, most companies I at least get in, in touch with 
they have a mature view of Azure and cloud and then they realize the whole subscription based <laughs> uh, well method of working is um, is kind of nice so I hope that's not the case go moving on but in reality it's it's not something to be afraid about it's something to be mindful of and of course um, apply it to your own scenario there are versions of course where you do need to have local business data or i mean on-prem uh, that's uh, local business data might not be the case uh, where you what you actually need you might need to have, have control of stability that's the main issue right Yep. So, so to com comment on on what Gustav said, the, so the, the as I as I said though, as he said, the, what you're doing is that you need to run a very modern version of a data center. So the absolute minimum is Windows Server 2019, and uh, you need to run uh, Service Fabric clusters. You need to run like uh, special versions of SQL with always on clusters and, and shared storage and so on, which means that it's probably not the infrastructure that you're running anyway, which means that you still need to do a real large investment in in your infrastructure. I'm looking at the uh, uh, schematic of, of, a, of, a, of an environment here where we only have two environments. We have a UAT environment and we have a production environment, and that is about 30 servers, and that's minimum. That's a basic installation for a small customer. So yeah. we need we need to understand the 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 scale of this, and it's a it's a really complex installation. I I used to work with a partner who specialized in 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 building data centers for for customers, and and it's it's not an easy way easy thing to set up. Uh, and and also one of the arguments around doing this is also the update cadence. Because yeah. customers need need tend to think that if I if I if I run it on premise, I don't have to uh, adhere to Microsoft's update cadence, and that is is a very false fact. Because the problem is that you are just as unsupported if you're running on premise as you are if you run in Microsoft's cloud. Yeah, and <clears throat> and also everything ends up on you. And one of the things that I wanted wanted to say as well. Was that you? First of all, you lose a lot of of services around the installation. Exactly, the whole ecosystem around. Yeah, you lose Power BI, you lose common data service, you lose the integration to the Power Platform, and all of that. But what I also wanted to say was that uh, Gustav uh, mentioned something when he when he started talking. Was that I have not worked with one single instance of a local business data installation, and that is a really hard argument for why you shouldn't do it. Because if no one else is doing it, if Microsoft don't want you to do it, there is probably a reason. And, and if nothing else, the fact that Microsoft doesn't want you to do this should be an indicator to, if you don't want to spend your life working uphill it's probably not a good idea to do what Microsoft don't want you to do. But <laughs> no. with that being said, Gustav is completely right. There are absolutely valid scenarios for lo local business data. It's just that it's very few. Exactly. And I think that's, the, that's kind of the point. I mean, it's there, it's available. Uh, but uh, I think I was at one of the earlier workshops at Microsoft. Uh, I think I was in Germany. Um, and it's quite clear that, okay, we're providing this as a service because you are able to do it. 
but it's all to sustain yourself until you can go full cloud. So even if you go on-prem, from a Microsoft perspective, it's it's to be able to kind of ease the transition to to allow you the time you need to kind of um, convince whoever you need to convince internally, uh, go through the loops, work with um, depreciating your, your data center or what, whatever you need to do to go full cloud. And if that is not the way you want to go, then that's another discussion. So um, I think I think we cannot be more clear. Um, and uh, again, I we can't go into this podcast on like best practices on on prem because, like you say, we haven't really worked with it. So we can only work with um, what we can recommend. All right. So the next point, the next question that we we want to bring up is in regards to instances. Yes. So you can't really load balance. Dynamics 365 for finance operations, at least not in the way that you would like to do. You can't load balance it over regions or over different data centers. So you have an active passive setup, which means that if your data center goes offline, there is a way for fa- to fail it over to the, its twin data center. But nothing more than that. You can't really specify. When you set up the LCS project, you specify data center primary and data center secondary. And and those need to be in the same region. Exactly. And that, I mean, the failover you, you mentioned, that's not, not something to be taken lightly because that's like a real failover in case all services fail in like West Europe. <laughs> it's like a real disaster situation where, which you don't want to be in anyway. It's just uh, something you want to, to feel safe. But it's not like, yeah, we have some, some offices in, in uh, England so we can maybe use um, that as a failover and that will make it work for them whenever something fails. It's very important to know. You have one area that you can use if you have one tenant yes and that also means that you can't mirror an installation to like an other part of the world you can't have a like a a secondary instance you can have a secondary instance in in another data center on another continent but that would mean that you have two entirely separate installations yes that is correct and uh, we're getting to that a little bit later in the tenant discussion but uh, exactly and that that means two separate solutions well uh, you could have this the exact same code base you cannot have the exact same data but you can work with cds and different solutions to kind of replicate and and make sure that you work with the same customers etc but it's not the same application it's not the same arc it's not the same database uh, you have to be mindful of that whenever you go multi-tenant. Uh, so, like you say, there is no way for you to. You can use um, other solutions like Citrix or ex- export data, and and you can use geo synchronization to um, to get the data to other locations. But you can only have the installation of Dynamics in one and the same data center at the same time. Yes, and with that being said, there are ways to replicate parts of the data. You can use uh, store and cloud scale units for retail, for instance. Yes. You can use the new scale unit with, that we mentioned a couple of episodes ago that comes for, for the work work uh, sorry warehouse installation. Mm. Okay. Yes. The, the, there are reasons why you would want multiple instances. So we're back again to legal and compliance. Exactly. If you can't put it in a different continent, if you need to keep your data in Europe, for instance, mm-hmm. and you have something in in the US, you need to keep them keep them apart. 
that's a relevant version. Uh, latency, absolutely. Uh, if you have like a, a, a subsidiary in, in Africa, which doesn't have that good connections to, to Europe, that is also a relevant one. But you need to see if there is another way you can mitigate the latency issue. Uh, Azure Express route is one of them. Which which really will help you. Uh, another one is is the old traditional workaround where you put Citrix server n closer to the actual data center, so you can use the Citrix compression to to mitigate the latency, and that that actually works. Yeah, of course. It have it has worked for like thirty years, so that is also a way. Yeah, the drawback there is only time zone, right? Because if you do that to mitigate, uh, if you have a small office somewhere in a different time zone. That might be okay, but they have to live with whenever you do a deployment in your time zone. That might be in the middle of lunch for them. So yes, <laughs> so that that that's my my third point is maintenance windows. Exactly. If you have if you have if you have uh, legal entities in every single continent in every single time zone, you don't really have any maintenance windows, which means that either you use multiple instances so you can service them at different times, mm -hmm. or you just decide so. We have one small legal entity in this in this time zone. Those poor bastards will always <laughs> be the one who, who get hit by the maintenance window, but we can live with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the third, the fourth uh, option actually is if you are a big company that has daughter companies that you buy and sell, and you start up new brands and you sell them off. Multiple instances might be a good point because it's really tricky once you have set up a legal entity in a large instance, it is a bit tricky to to deprecate it, to remove it, to to finish it. That might be a, so if you if you know already from the beginning that this is what you're doing, it might be a good point to to have multiple instances. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, uh, another topic on that is even if you um, if you have a, a you can move between uh, one tenant to another. Uh, speaking on what you described here, when you buy or sell companies, but that operation is quite complex, and you have to uh, like reach out to Microsoft and you have to ask them that, like uh, we need to move this tenant to well this instance of Dynamics to a different tenant due to us now being well, part of this company, etc. So it's possible. But it's very, very complicated. It's a lengthy process. Um, I know the Microsoft team is working. They have a backlog on that. Um, but it's it's possible, but you need to be sure when you decide on how many tenants and how many instances you want to, to keep based on what you know now. And if you then, like five years from now, <laughs> get purchased by a different company and they sincerely want to move it into their tenant, well, it can be done, but yeah, it's it's complicated. Yes, uh, we of course have some cons in this this case also, and I would like to highlight those as well. The most obvious one is complexity. You need to maintain two separate or three separate installations. That's not that easy. It's it's hard enough to maintain one. Intercompany integrations is one of those. Those are more or less built in, but if you separate the companies into two different instances, you need to build that by yourself. Yes. Integrations is one of those. So if you have like orders flowing in to one instance, you need to make sure that you have the same integrations to all of your instances in that case. Uh, updates, you need to keep it 
current all of those so we need to update many instances and also as Gustav hinted before you need to maintain the code base in the same level in all instances mm. because it's it's sort of tricky to develop and then selectively move your code to different instances because that that will be like a, a, a mess eventually i yeah, would say i mean it, it can be maintained but that's that's not really a limitation of the technical platform it can be done you can maintain the same code base uh, but it requires a very uh, structured way of working uh, as long as you have a very good organization you have you might have two different teams working but they have very good communication they work in maybe devops hopefully uh, at least <laughs> and um, then uh, absolutely you can maintain two instances of dynamics uh, within the same tenant or multiple tenant um, by making sure you control whatever code gets released. Um, it, it's all about how you design it. How many models do you have? How many, how, when do you do releases? How, how much can you share between? Do you have the same integrations towards external systems? So it's very, again, context sensitive. Uh, so, uh, but it can be done. So uh, I'm not saying it's, it's, um, not recommended to do because it's all about the situation you're in. If it's required, like you say, you want by legal reasons or by process reasons. We have two companies they do vastly different things and they have vastly different needs. Then maybe from a, like a deployment perspective and operations perspective, it might make sense to have two instances. Um, uh, and I, we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I think we missed the whole background discussion of a tenant and an instance and what is the difference here because a tenant is what you get when you get uh, when you uh, to use microsoft's terminology i think um it's a dedicated instance of the azure active directory service that an organization receives and owns when it creates a relationship with microsoft and that basically means that the majority of the customers or partners or companies out there working with office 365 they have a tenant it's there it's, it's like that's the one that you have and it's the same tenant you will be using when you move to Dynamics 365. Uh, and that's something I, I think uh, from an awareness perspective that's nowadays most people are, are aware of this. But that is a, that is the tenant, basically. And if you need w within that tenant, that organization, if you have the need to have two instances of Dynamics production, yes, you can. But you need to contact Microsoft and you need to kind of, well, explain why it's needed. Uh, because by default you get one instance per tenant and that's that's basically the default and that's usually the case uh, to be honest yes uh, and uh, as, as Gustav said the, the the challenge with having multiple tenants because there, there are customers who have been either because of historic reasons uh, merging companies together and so on or they have been a bit creative when they set up their first Azure tenant and Office tenant that they selected to use different tenants for for Office and for other <laughs> things. And, and, and that, that proves a bit tricky because the Azure Active Directory tenant, which is the, I would say, the, the base of the tenant. It's actually what defines the tenant, your domain and your... Um, directory. That's the 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 main part. That's the 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 important part here. 
And if you do set up a different tenant, there is no, I mean, if, you, if you're if you used to like a regular Windows infrastructure, there is not, it's what, what we used to do was setting up multiple domains and forests and trusts and so on. But the problem is that, that since we're using an OAuth uh, directory in this case, mm. it's really not thought to be used that way, which means that every tenant is its own entity and everything else is outside. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, uh, what this really says is that uh, it, it's based upon your matureness of Azure, basically. If you're fully confident in maintaining two tenants because that's your organizational needs, that's no problem. You can have three or four, it doesn't matter. Um, as long as you're aware of what that means, because if you need cross-functional processes to work across tenants, probably possible, not a problem, but you need to, like, guest access, you need to work with that. And that's usually, I mean, the, it's designed to handle that. It's not a problem. But for the user experience, it might present some issues. Um, so that's just something to be aware about um, if you want to leverage on the full capabilities of the whole Office 365 Dynamics platform that um, doing those choices wisely in the beginning makes it a lot easier to adopt the, the well, like all of them, the platform, not just Dynamics, but if you purely use like Dynamics for finance and it's just, we have one finance department uh, running this and they work with, um, they're in, just in one tenant, then sure. And the rest of the company can run Office 365 and any other things in separate tenants. It's perfectly possible. So it's all about the requirements and the needs, but don't create more tenants than you need because that will just create unnecessary complexity. Yes, uh, I, I also have a final tip and tricks when it comes to the tenant setup because I used to, I, I mean, you, both me and Gustav are consultants. We work for a, co for a company that has its own tenant, which means that in some cases we are using our employees, uh, employer's account to access the environment. And in some cases, our customer requires us to use their tenants accounts so we have multiple accounts yeah so uh, one thing that that could be nice to know was that if you if if i'm using my engage group account to access a customer's instance that would require in some cases it would require a guest account that is created in the Azure tenant. It has to do with security policies and who is allowed to use uh, resources in the in the Azure tenant. In some cases, we actually require a, a guest account. But what is a bit tricky here is that some applications create these guest accounts automatically. So if we look at SharePoint, for instance, if I invite a SharePoint, an external person to our SharePoint, SharePoint will talk to my Azure Active Directory and generate a shadow account, which represents the guest's Azure AD account. So it's a, it's a placeholder for the guest's Azure AD account, which means that there is something that we can set permissions to in our tenant. Mm. Dynamics 365 for operations does not do that. So if you have these policies in place, you will need to talk to IT to have them create the guest accounts for those uh, users. And if you don't want to do that, then you should talk to IT to generate internal accounts for those external users in that case. 
So I mean, that's that's the basic option to just generate accounts for whoever needs access. But if you cannot, then you need to either establish a trust, like a relationship with the the other AAD, or allow the, those guest users to to access whatever resource you need, basically. So it it drives maintenance and it drives complexity, uh, but it's it's there and it's available. So it's it's working as as well. So it's just something to think about when you design your tenant structure or when you decide how you want to set it up. If you need two instances, that does not necessarily mean you have to have two tenants. So just be aware about that if dynamics is driving your tenant discussion. I, I just wanted to add that that adding internal accounts for consultants like me and Gustav makes the customer's life a bit easier, but it makes makes our a bit harder because we need <laughs> to have multiple browsers and profiles and things. But But I mean, that's that's not the point. So just just yeah, whining. On a so. personal note, I, I actually like having a customer account because that makes me it makes it feel. Uh, I usually try to spend a, a long time with the, the customers, but uh, so I, I kind of like it because it feels like you're you're part of the customer, and it's not that hard nowadays with uh, with the login architecture. But yeah, it, it depends on your situation. If you have ten simultaneous clients, then yeah, I understand that that might be tricky. So it's all about the situation. But with that, I think that we have actually uh, handled all of our three main questions for tonight. So um, the, the, the answer to all of the questions are uh, multiple instances, no. On-premise <laughs> installation, no. And uh, multiple tenants, no with a little asterisk on all of them. There are options that where you need to have them, but normally you don't. Yeah, and I want to just emphasize that that little asterisk can be quite a big asterisk, yeah, depending sure, on the situation, sure. because Absolutely. there are situations where this is purely, where it's recommended, to be honest, because like we said, uh, it all depends on, on where you are, what you do, and uh, how big that uh, the difference is between your, your sister companies, basically. All right, so uh, by that we say thank you and uh, good night for this time. Thank you, good night. Good night.